Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. We all want to build a better business so we can be better architects. Well, a better business starts with planning your profit. Download our free course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, at entrearchitect.com slash free course. You are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, episode 142. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm Whether you're in the process of launching a startup or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. The difficult choice to pick a target market and focus all your energy, all your resources, and all your effort on that one market is a decision many of us small firm architects are afraid to make. We're afraid of missing out on other opportunities or we worry that we'll have all our eggs in one basket when that next recession shows up. You've heard me talk about this before. Pick a target market, become an expert, and you will find that your next best client will find their way to you. I'm very excited about this week's special guest. He's an architect who has succeeded by making that decision to focus on a target market early on in his development, in the development of his firm. And he's thrived for more than 30 years because of it. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, Dale Mulfinger of Sala Architects joins me 
and shares his hard-earned knowledge on how to succeed as a residential architect. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is sponsored by TrueStyle, the leader in high-end architectural interior doors. Learn more at truestyle.com and Tanglewood Conservatories, combining the romanticism of the 19th century glass architecture with state-of-the-art technology of today. Learn more at tanglewoodconservatories.com. Dale Mulfinger, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for being here. Um, you're the founder and principal of the residential architecture firm, Sala Architects. You're based in Minnesota with two offices, one in Minneapolis and one in Stillwater. Um, it's great having you here. I'm really excited that you're here. Um, Sala, I've been following Sala for a long time. I love what you guys do. And I love not only the architecture that you do, it's just the presence and the brand of Sala. And that's very, um, it's, it's really great to see a residential architecture firm thrive the way that Sala has. Um, you were introduced to me by our mutual friend, uh, Stacia Hood, uh, who was one of your employees. And now she's on to building her own project, The Thrivable Home, which she was on the podcast not too long ago, uh, episode 136. Uh, listeners may also recognize the name of your firm, Sala, through your co-founder and former partner, uh, Sarah Susanka, who is the author of the Not So Big House uh, book series. Um, but in addition to being an architect, you're also an advocate for the profession and an author and a teacher in, in many, many ways, which is really why I wanted you here on the show today. Uh, in fact, you're actually going to be an expert, a guest at our, uh, at our training at uh, Entree Architect Academy next week, which I'm really excited to have you over there uh, so our members can sort of get a connection with you, learn from you, and then be able to ask some questions uh, and, and learn how to be successful in residential architecture. Uh, but I wanted to bring you to the podcast so you can, uh, we can bring your knowledge and your thoughts to the Entree Architect community at large. So uh, I'm really excited to have you here to talk about residential architecture. And uh, I, before we get into that, I wanted to get into your origin story, which is what we do with all our guests. I'd love to go back to when you discovered architecture what when you discovered that architecture was a thing and was a profession and what inspired you to decide to become an architect and then give us your story and your your uh, your your journey to where you find yourself today well my background as far as getting into architecture starts probably from being a farm kid growing up in rural minnesota and i learned very early that uh Farming wasn't quite for me, so I was probably for something else. And in the process, um, I excelled in the drafting program in high school. And it really didn't orient me specifically to architecture, but to the art of drafting and understanding how to draw worm gear and all those great things. And probably saw myself as heading in the direction of mechanical drafting. But perchance, I um, took a test to get into the university, and I succeeded. And Somebody asked me what program I was going to attend, and I said, well, maybe architecture, and that's where I arrived at the university. And uh, you might say I never looked back from that point. So I happened to enter the Department of Architecture with an amazing group of peers who are many of my closest friends still today, so many years after. And I think through their help, 
Um, I emerged uh, six years later as a young architect. Um, in the early my early professional career, I really was focused on urban design. So I spent a decade in urban design working on planning and developments, campus planning, uh, large city developments, uh, urban design, so forth. And over a decade, I came to the realization that urban design takes a very long time to implement, if, if it ever gets implemented. And I decided I would probably prefer to get a little bit closer to buildings. So I started working for architects, uh, both ab abroad and here in Minneapolis. And gradually, the projects, uh, as they got smaller and smaller, I enjoyed them more and more. And out of that, essentially came uh, um, an understanding that I might really enjoy residential architecture. Um, and then I had um, an opportunity to design a house according to the ideas uh, put forth by Christopher Alexander in the pattern link. Yeah, great. And uh, I happened to have this graduate student by the name of Sarah Sasenka, who was well steeped in that theory and idea. And, and I said, Sarah, why don't you join me and we'll do this house together. And I was the beginning of our firm. Oh, so great. That was, that's a great story. 1983, and we did a little uh, $75,000 house uh, based on uh, 26 patterns from the pattern language. And uh, quite early on, I realized that uh, it's fun to talk about these projects. And so I wrote an article in Fine Home Building about that pattern language house. And I'm still writing today for Taunton Press. So. Uh, some things, uh, you know, stay with me, you might say. Yeah, yeah, that's a great story. A Pattern Language is a, is a great book. If anybody doesn't know, it's a big, thick, yellow book, and it talks about patterns, about, about how architecture works, right? I mean, that's essentially the idea behind it. Right, 33 years later, I was in San Francisco a few months ago, in fact, uh, a, a day before I saw you up at the conference, mm -hmm. And interviewing, a, or you might say, two young people were interviewing me to be their architect for a cabin in Minnesota. And about five minutes into the interview, um, the husband said, by the way, have you ever run across a book called A Pattern Language? Uh, no, never heard of it. <laughs> That's so funny how, how everything is a cycle and it all comes back. That's right. Yeah, that's so funny. So, so uh, you mentioned cabins. That's your passion today, right? Well, yeah, about halfway along in this uh, Sala gig, um, I was asked to design a cabin, and I realized I didn't, uh, although they're around me everywhere in Minnesota, I didn't know all that much about them because I didn't grow up with a cabin in my family background. So, so I, like I've done with a lot of things, I decided to research it and uh, in the process of researching cabins, I started writing articles about them for a local magazine. 72 articles later, hmm. uh, I think I maybe, you know, gleaned some knowledge. And then I started doing books for Taunton Press on that same subject. And I'm about uh, to finish up the, the most recent book that will be published in 2017 to be called The Family Cabin. That's great. How many, how many books on cabins have you written so far? This would be the fifth book the fifth, for Taunton yeah. Press, yes. Yeah. And I, probably one of the more interesting ones is one called Cabinology. Yeah, that's the one I recognize. Is, is what, what is it about the cabin that inspires you so much to sort of focus on that? Uh, I think, you know, sometimes you, you, you follow into, into places that you don't think are being served very well. 
So here we are in Minnesota, and you think of all the cabins we have around here, and yet nobody really focused on it deeply enough to understand it very well. So people, a lot of architects did kind of a one-off cabin for their client in order to get the bank job or whatever else they might right. be going in. But nobody really had looked at it closely. And uh, so I just dug into it, and there was a big void uh, of, of you know needing some architectural discussion. So... Uh, the other things about a cabin is I love the scale of the small scale of them, and I and I really appreciate the fact that most of my clients think of their cabin as a legacy project, mm. and so they they are willing and desirous of putting a phenomenal amount of their own personality into it. So it, each cabin is uniquely different because so much because the people are different, and and that makes them very rewarding. Yeah. Uh, it's also it's also fun to be able to go back and stay in. That's your project. We're a little fishing while you're there. Yeah, it's a great target market for vacations. Right. <laughs> so when you say a legacy project, you, you mean that they're sort of building them for generations beyond them? They presume that their yeah. children will inherit this and, and seek to inherit it, whereas their suburban home, they know that's going to be resold to somebody who, you know, totally unrelated to them. Yeah. Yeah. My mom and dad have a, uh, a small cabin built probably in the turn of the century, a little fishing shack, really, of, up on the St. Lawrence River in New York. And uh, and that's exactly what it is. It is a place where we all go and we gather and have, you know, we build memories there. It's, it's such a special place. Right. And I think that's that's what makes working on cabins so much fun is, is all those special places and all those yeah. special people. Yeah, I can imagine. And, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, another kind of anecdote to that is, I would say in about a fifth of the projects I work on, a meeting might in fact have multiple family members in the meeting. <laughs> yeah, that must be difficult that, at times. That always presents a bit of a challenge, but uh, we work our way through it. Yeah, yeah, and and that's part of residential architecture, right? I mean, having having sometimes multiple points of view and having to solve problems for multiple different, you know, multiple uh, people. Uh, we do it, a lot of fam family counseling, a lot of marriage marriage counseling. Yeah. yeah. So you, you, um, one of the things that you advocate is, is success in residential architecture. You, you've done well with, with Sala. Sala. If, you, if people go to um, salaarchitects.com, you can see their website. Very well done, very well put together. Great branding. Um, all through social media, again, very consistent there as well. Um, ha, let's go through some of the things that you've learned through your years of working uh, and building Sala. Uh, and, and why it's become what it is today. Could you, would you be willing to do that with us? Sure, of course. So what well, are, we started, what, Go ahead. We started 33 years ago, and Sarah Sosenka and I, and uh, we sort of realized fairly early on that uh, there wasn't anyone focusing directly on residential in our area, or there were hardly yeah. anyone. And, and we, we further realized that if we got the word out to the public that we were really interested in doing houses, the public turned out to be anxious for architects to jump in. So very early on, we learned that there was just a gigantic market that was being unserved, and we jumped in full force, and thus we grew rapidly to a much larger firm. Um, and I think in my, my own feelings that, that there's still a lot more market there yet to be served. So I guess I'm still rather optimistic that even though we now have a lot of residential architects, particularly here in the Twin Cities and in a number of our metropolises around the country, 
there's still a lot of unserved clients uh, who want to do better things. That doesn't, doesn't mean they want to do what you want to do, but they want to create better homes. And of course, their definition of better uh, is pretty broad. And it might mean just energy performance. It could mean beauty. It could mean um, making it smaller and better, as Sarah would say. But uh, they, they all want to, in one way or another, make it better. And if you're in there to, willing to help them, um, they're more than willing to, to uh, pay for your service. And you discovered early on in your, in your career that you enjoyed residential architecture um, and, it w- and you wanted to build this firm around residential architecture. So, so you chose to not do other types of architecture. Was that, was that a, a, a scary decision to make? I find that many architects, I talk about the target market a lot, that architects should find a target market and serve that market to be successful. That's, that's one of the steps to get there. Um, do you agree with that? And, and how did you get past that, that fear of choosing just well, one? Sarah and I actually started the firm thinking that we were going to be doing multifamily housing. And we marketed rather heavily towards that with various developers. And while we were marketing that, uh, we happened to be doing additions, remodelings, and a few new homes. And it took us a few months, not necessarily a year, to realize that, wait a minute, the, the homework is uh, paying the bills, and this other work is just draining, <laughs> draining our profits. So uh, we said, well, what if we started a market? What if we actually started to tell the public we wanted to do their house or we wanted to do their addition? Would there any, be anybody around? And as soon as we realized the scale of that market and how how fast the phone started ringing. We really didn't have any fear. Our fear was how to serve it well, not and and how to grow a firm comfortably, but not necessarily that we were in a market that that was dried up or you know that wouldn't sustain itself. So uh, I think other than a few financial turn turn down, you know, certainly the various recessionary times that we've had. Yeah. Um, and, and the big one most recently, um, you know, the market has been sustaining itself pretty well. And even in the recession, it didn't dry up com- completely. Our piece of the market seemed to stay open uh, during the recession. So so um, was there any point where you decided you were thinking that maybe maybe residential wasn't a good idea to focus on it and maybe I should have been more more broad? I, you know, I'm still an architect who would at times love to say, oh, wouldn't it be fun to do a high rise, you know, 120 story tower or, you know, I mean, I love other things. And, and, and through academia, I often get involved in other scope, you know, the projects of scope and scale. Uh, but that said, um, I know there's a wealth of really talented architects already serving those markets well. And um, so I'm going to stay focused on, you know, these these segments of the market that I've identified for myself and the firm. Now, our firm has done other work, other non-residential work. And there's certainly people in our office who might like to do more of that. So we've done uh, a mortuary, a public library, um, some commercial buildings. You know, we, we continue to do a few of those projects as they happen to fall into our lap. Yeah. And, and I, you know, one of the things I advocate is that if you pick that target market and you become known for that and that you become a, an expert in that one market, then people recognize you as a successful firm and, and that you're good at that. And then they do start to bring in other op- well, opportunities for you because they've made that connection uh, through the residential work that they've done. That's right. So we, I think we got the libraries because somebody wanted a library that felt as nice as a home. Right. And somebody wanted a mortuary that felt rather homelike. 
and not commercial. So I think other projects have been identified um, because we happen to know people or, or, or offer a, you know, a service that they feel they would love, enjoy. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to two of our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, True Style Doors and Tanglewood Conservatories. As platform sponsors, these companies have provided funding and support for our overall mission to become an influential force in the profession of architecture. They recognize the need for small firms like you and me to build better businesses in order to be better architects. And both of these companies are run by great people. I've met them. They're passionate about their products and they want to share their knowledge with you. So listen up and connect with them. Say thanks for sponsoring Entree Architect. Then specify their products and by supporting them, you'll be supporting us. True Style is passionate about providing us small firm architects with the inspiration and tools to transform our designs with the most distinctive, authentic, and the most special doors available. With more than 400 made-to-order styles, True Style offers premium MDF doors for painted applications and 20, count them, 20 standard species of wood across all architectural categories from traditional to contemporary and everything in between. Every True Style door is made to order. True Style, driven by design. Visit TrueStyle.com and start designing your doors today. That's TrueStyle, T-R-U-S-T-I-L-E, And my friends at Tanglewood Conservatories, they custom design and they build authentic residential and commercial conservatories, combining the romanticism of the 19th century glass architecture with state-of-the-art technology and master craftsmanship. Whether your designs call for a pool enclosure, a gazebo, a greenhouse, a unique light-filled living space, Tanglewood Conservatories will help you create a custom masterpiece for your clients. These things are beautiful. Check them out at tanglewoodconservatories.com. Just go peek around. Amazing photographs of the things they've built there. Tanglewood Conservatories, anything else, is just a room. For more information, go visit tanglewoodconservatories.com. What are some of the things that you did in order to be recognized as as a, a residential firm? How did you get the word out that that's what you wanted to do? I would say the two most common things we did early on were one, getting articles in our local newspaper about projects that we found interesting. And those tended to be remodelings and additions. And then uh, we also started courses that the public could attend about residential architecture. And we did those in a number of venues, venues where there was already kind of a guaranteed market. So adult education through the university or through our local science center or art centers, uh, they often have adult ed classes um, and there's a, a ready market. They're, they're, they're already advertising for other classes. So if you jump in, uh, it's usually a fairly well-educated group of people that show up and, and from those, uh, you get clients and they may be, you may not get a client by the end of the day of that program, but over the next couple of years, people will come back to you and say, gee, I remember what you said in that program. And therefore, you know, I'd really like to have you do that addition to my home. So, um, I, I think, um, we just found ways to meet the public okay. and still, still, you know, we still, very much believe that we need to always be informing the public that we're really proud of what we do 
And as long as we're proud of what we do, other people will want us to help them. So would you say today the two main marketing tools that you're using is still publishing and teaching? Uh, yeah, they're probably the dominant ones, yes. Um, I mean, obviously, I would say still the majority of our work comes through word of mouth. That is to yeah. say, have the clients pass your name along to the neighbor uh, or to Uncle Bud. But uh, that's the dominant one, is to always make sure your clients have feel good by the end of the day right. and therefore they'll recommend you to someone or your builder will recommend you to someone just had that happen yesterday builder recommending me uh, but our other markets reaching the people who don't yet know you that's a matter of um, uh, I think classes lectures articles and there's in my estimation no better source of articles so place for articles than your local um, newspaper um, so we've actually helped start programs that aren't just helpful to us, as in Sala, but are helpful to all of the residential architects of the community. So we have a program with our newspaper called Home of the Month, and uh, each month uh, they feature a house done by an architect, and we compete for those slots. So there are 12 slots per year, and uh, we get about 40 to 45 submissions from our residential community. A residential architectural community and and the, and then an unbiased panel picks the 12 for the, that coming year uh, and then we wait a year and repeat it and and that's just a great source and it's been you know even even though we don't necessarily get even if we, we only get uh, two three four of those slots ourselves um, it's a boon to our profession so it's really helpful and then out of that has come other articles within the newspaper. So the newspaper may see that the the commission only picked the you know twelve, but they actually want a thirteenth, and they'll they'll call you up and say, "Couldn't I publish that?" We say, "Sure." I think the thing to remember that I like to to tell my colleagues in the profession is, um, magazine editors and newspaper editors stare at blank pages, stare at blank pages, wondering how the hell to fill them, and yeah. so. Help them out of their misery. <laughs> so you've actually not only written articles, you've created programs with publishers to get residential architecture exposure. Yes, yes. Uh, about a dozen years ago, I went into our local newspaper and said, I've got this idea about the home of the month idea. Uh, and I, I thought for sure I'd have a terrible, it would be a very hard sell. And how would I ever you know, get there? And I said, by the way, we've got photography already done. Uh, we'll help you with the article. These will be you know, owners who are willing to speak. Um, and this woman editor looked at me and said, where the hell you been? <laughs> so, so it took off right away and it's been going down for a dozen, at least a dozen years. And that's, it's, that's, it's, we didn't invent that idea. We actually exported that idea from Seattle. And it was, it was another architect doing something similar, another publication. Yeah, Seattle had a similar, uh, newspaper pub, uh, program, yeah. uh, a little bit different than ours, but, uh, it, it, it's an idea we, as I say, we, we took from Seattle and, and then made it work in our community. And, and we have other uh, programs. We have something called a Rave Award. And, um, so that's with a local magazine. Uh, so there are other ways that we get the work of our residential architectural community out into the public view. And so your intent is to get exposure for residential architecture right. and, and to, to make a connection, right? Because... I mean, yeah. some of the, the articles are really, you're not making a personal connection, but the teaching is making a personal connection. The awards, maybe, 
you know, maybe that's a uh, something where you're making a physical, you know, a, an actual connection with somebody where you're you're meeting them. Yeah. Yeah. W one of the great, uh, one of the notable things that you can communicate if you do an adult ed class is there you can communicate theories and ideas broader than say a project. So so in a newspaper article, they're going to speak on a kind of a you know a lay. Uh, text, if you will. But if you actually conduct a class, you can introduce the public to pattern language, or mm. you can introduce the public to passive solar design, or any number of ideas, so that two years later, by the time somebody arrives at your door, they already know you for a set of ideas, and you don't have to, you don't have to hand them a book and say, read this first before we begin. Right. So, so some of the passions that you have as an architect, you can teach those passions, like as you know, pattern language or maybe passive house or whatever, whatever you, you want, you're building your firm around and something that gets you excited that you want to share with others, pick that and go share it with the general public. That's right. Now you can do that also with articles, but sometimes depending upon the nature of the, of the place you're writing the article as to how technical you can be or how specific to a theory or an idea to, to be generally, generally they want a more, accommodating kind of soft article so let's so now so you go out there and you do all that that marketing essentially and and right. you and you have people start calling you right they have they, it right. starts That's working right. so yes. once that those calls come in how do you get that work done do you have processes in place in the firm and and talk a little bit about how the firm sure. is structured it, well what's unique about us as a firm is we're or we're organized much more horizontally than a than a firm would, than commonly would be a firm of 26 or people. We before the recession we had about 40 people, so we're organized horizontally with 13 different project architects. So what that means to us is whether you're a principal or 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 an associate in our office, you have your own client. You do your own design. You essentially do your own projects, and. Um, so you are your own entity as far as an architect goes. You're supported by the firm. Uh, the, the management structure is there to help you. And, but we don't police your, your theories and ideas that you want to put forth into the public arena. Um, we enjoy the fact that, that you're a little bit different than I am. You know, that, that somehow you will do it this way and I'll do it that way. And you're, you're more interested in the history and I'm more interested in the avant-garde. Whatever, whatever your interests are, we appreciate the fact that our 13 individuals have a great diversity of interests and so we can handle a pretty broad set of queries that come into the office. Now you might ask, well, two, you know, there are two common questions that come about from that. What, what keeps young architects in our office? And I think uh, what we've learned from attorneys, and I would say that our ideas come almost directly from law offices which have a similar model. Um, what keeps attorneys in a law office, what keeps an architect in a larger office is camaraderie, is the fact that a certain number of architects really enjoy doing what they do in a group. Now, that's not every architect. I mean, there's an awful lot of architects who would like to do it alone or maybe with just a few people, and they, and they, they like the power of being fully in control. Uh, and that's just not us. I mean, that's, that's fine. That's one alternative. We have a different alternative, and that is for people who – enjoyed the studio experience back when they were in college this is just like a big studio and we can critique each other but uh, um, we we basically support each other and learn from each other 
Do, are you also responsible for bringing in your own projects? Yes and no. I mean, if you're if you're a younger associate and you don't have all of the contacts that I might have, being the senior guy around here, uh, you need to be nurtured. So we need to. I need to take some of my excess work, if you will, or excess phone calls, and make sure they slip over to some of the younger staff when that can be done. Uh, so yeah, it, it takes some nurturing of, of more junior associates. Um, but you begin to realize early on that if you want the kind of work you really love to work on, you need to get out there and, and mine the market for that kind of work. So that means you need to teach the class, you need to get an article, uh, and you see what your senior associates do. So you kind of, you know, you fairly quickly find the model that works for you. And it's not the same model for everyone. Not everybody's a public speaker. Not everybody is a good writer. Although I think everybody could be a good writer because there are these magical people called editors that make us sound like you know, what we're talking about. But um, but um, anyway, I think you know everybody has to find their own venue for getting out into the public world and say, wow, I'm really proud of what I do. And here are some of the things I've been able to, to do already. Do you have any formal mentoring processes that, that are in Sala or is it sort of informal? It's pretty informal. We don't, we don't have too much of a formal structure for that. And it varies, it varies because each individual is so unique. And yeah. some, some come readily made with their own ability to, to they've already got a community they're connected to, and, and others, they, they really need to nurture in order to find that community. And you said administrative support you share. Do you also share, like, um, design support, draft, draftsmen? Yeah. Yes. We share staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, we share the management of the office and um, finances. And we're, even though we're 13 individual architects with our own clients, the money all goes into a central pool. I mean, it's not its not like everybody's an individual profit center. So all, all the billing is handled by somebody else, and it all goes into one, the, one account? Correct. <clears throat> yes. And, and everybody checks, gets salaries, essentially? The checks flow into one account, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the inverse, you know, there's a way to, you know, another another thing we learned from attorneys is if that's the case, how do you determine financial fairness? And, right. you know, we've, we've developed our own models of what fairness means. So there's kind of a point ranking system that, that you know, if you're more senior or if you uh, have done more work over the course of the year, you know, there's more money coming in under your name. Um, um, all of those things kind of represent a different set of values as far as what your compensation might be versus somebody else. Are there certain types of people that you're looking for as you grow uh, when you're when you're hiring people? Well, I think we're always looking for people who are have diverse set of talents, who are have a good sense of kind of meeting the public. You know, you know, they have to be good on their feet in terms of, of understanding how they're going to work with clients and how they're going to work with a public audience. Um, they have to be generally good all-around designers. I mean, they have to have good skill set. Um, and then they have to want, they have to enjoy working with a group. I mean, they're, they're not, you don't want somebody who's a classic loner who really wants to go hide off by themselves. So, uh, yeah, there are a number of things one looks for. Or, if you don't, you don't necessarily see all that up front. So, I mean, you, you know, there's a certain testing period when younger staff can come in and sort of, you know, we look at them, they look at us as they begin to perform professional tasks. And what are your thoughts on, on growing the firm? Is, is your intent to, is, you know, to focus on growth or do you just find this 
this balance no, I, of where you want to be and you just you sort of try to maintain that balance? I don't think there's ever really been a overt notion that the firm had to grow, that we you know, are trying to become 60 people or something like that. Right. I think growth has been more an outcome of phone calls that come in and how do you serve them and how do you how do you not let that phone call go off to somebody else that's outside of the firm? So if you want that phone call to stay within the firm and, and you get too busy, then you add somebody. And I think we try and do a pretty good, have done over the years, a pretty good job of knowing who's out there in the community and available uh, to work with us, you know, should we need more staff. So we always try and keep our um, uh, ear to the ground as far as who's graduating. You know, that's one of the advantages of teaching is, is you know some of the, the great talent coming out of schools and and we try and connect with a lot of other schools other than just our local ones. So uh, I regularly do reviews down at the University of Arkansas or you know somebody else does it at a different school so that we know we have a broader base of talent than just our own region. Have your leaders and your principals grown from from the bottom up? Have they have you grown them in, internally or did you did you bring them on as partners? All of, all of the above. <laughs> uh, some grew up uh, internally. Others came to us midstream, if you might say, or they were already somewhat accomplished, and, but they wanted to join our group. So, uh, yeah, we've had diverse ways that people have come to the firm. And and they've come from beyond our region at times, uh, or most of them come from within the region. And you have you have multiple offices. You have two offices now, right? You had you had three at one time. Wasn't we it? had Correct. three. Um and uh, I would say with the third one was really just knocked out by the recession, and we didn't really have a need for it. I, I think our multiple offices are more a product of where people will have wanted to live mm -hmm. rather than did we necessarily overtly want to have multiple offices. Uh, so, um, uh, you know, I, 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 whether we do or do not have multiple offices probably isn't that critical. So it's more of a response to the flexibility of the of the of the. Yeah, and it certainly gets a little more complicated as you start to have multiple offices. But um, we've always had Minneapolis kind of a central office. That's where our core management is, and uh, um, and we've we've got a Stewarder office because some Stewarder is a beautiful little town with, where some architects love to live. So, uh, and our work um, does we do not geographically. Uh, structure, you know, where where projects go. Uh, sometimes it's more convenient for them to be in Stillwater. Sometimes it's more convenient to be in Minneapolis, but uh, there were just, uh, one of my Stillwater colleagues was just in here yesterday in our Minneapolis office meeting with her client. So, uh, it, it's uh, and, and that client has a project in Minneapolis. So, we, we really do a lot of regional work, and, and the regional work is done out of both offices. How many how many people in each office? Uh, we're about uh, we're about totally about twenty six, so I think we're about seven in Stillwater right now, and it kind of varies a little bit. Some of that Stillwater staff has been in here helping in Minneapolis, so uh, it's a smaller group out in our Stillwater office. Yeah, is it uh, is there anything else that you want to share? I mean, if there was a a residential architect who came to you and and they're just struggling trying to get you know they've been in, maybe they've been in business for five six years and they've been trying to do all the things that they're trying to do um what would you say to that that struggling architect what is some of the things that they should be focusing on to 
sort of turn things around to get things going in the right direction? Well, if they're proud of what they've done so far, you know, if they've had a few years and built a few projects and they're proud of what they've done, then they definitely need to find a way to share that with the world, you know, with their with their immediate environment. So, so finding a way to get that their work published, I think, is important. Um, and the more local, if that's if that's where they want to do their work, the more local they can get it published, the the better are they are to get additional projects. I think it starts with with putting a lawn sign out in front of your construction project. And that's it. It does a th number of things. One, it, it, it says I'm proud of what I'm doing here. Yeah. But it also says, here's my phone number. Give me a call. And it's maybe the cheapest and simplest device you can do. And I'm often amazed that the number of people who don't do that. Uh, but that's where it starts. And that's and then I think you build off that and say, well, can I, can I talk about this on a local level or do I want to talk about it more nationally? And you know, if you want your work to be more national, then you want to you want to move out into national magazines or national press, and that's you know, just more arduous to try and figure out how to do that. But you can write articles for Fine Home Building, or you know, or you can attempt to get an article in, in the Washington Post. <laughs> but right. uh, you know, that's a bit more challenging to, to, to do either of those. You don't do them as often. Yeah. Uh, whereas your local your local newspaper is always looking for material. Yeah, the more national journals really takes networking. You really need to know the people yeah. in, inside those systems. Mm -hmm. um, I've written about that on the blog. Um, and if you're not a writer, not a lot of architects don't consider themselves a writer, but almost all architects, and it may have to do with what, the educational model where you, you have to present your project to a group, peer group of faculty, and you learn to talk, you learn to be able to talk about your project, and and everybody, you know, if you ask an architect about their current project or the one they just finished, they can talk for hours on it, and most of them would turn around and say, "Well, I can't write," and and you say, "Yeah, but you can talk, and if you can talk, you can talk into a microphone, and you'd be amazed at what you say once you hear yourself. If somebody's recording yeah. what you say, you can turn around and write from the basis of that recording, and. Uh, so that's kind of how I learned to write is, is listening to my recordings uh, and from that um, uh, starting to write. Now I can write independently of having to record myself, but but I couldn't initially. So uh, there are a lot of ways to, to, to get get your ideas out and, and, and uh, you know, let the world know that, that you're interested in this stuff. That's a great tip. I mean, everybody's walking around with a, you know, smartphone in their pocket. All you have to do is right. hit the... The uh, the audio recording button and, and start talking and actually there's there's websites now that you can send that audio to and they'll edit it for you they'll actually format right. it in a way so that becomes much it, more usable it's very easy to find editors <laughs> if if you don't think you can talk well it's very easy to find an editor who will clean up your 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 bad English or your bad grammar whatever it is and uh, so yeah that's easily done yeah D dale thank you so much for joining me here today and, and sharing your knowledge i really appreciate your time okay i look forward to chatting with you um, and your group in uh, in a week yeah i'm really looking forward to that your your website is salaarchitects.com uh you're all over social media as well facebook.com slash sala pinterest house uh twitter all sala architects you just search for for you there um and and Dale, before we wrap up, I want to ask you the same question that I ask many of my guests as we as we wrap up. Um, this is a question about what somebody can do, what an architect can do today uh, 
to build a better business for tomorrow? What is one thing that they can like just stop what they're doing and and do something right now that's going to affect their success in the future? Uh, you know, I think probably your success, you, you probably been, at this point think you've been reasonably successful as a person, but can you be successful with more people, uh, with the staff around you, with the staff you might hire in the future? And I think you really need to look at that staff and say, are they going somewhere that's comfortable for them? And how can we go there together? And how can I nurture them uh, as a group of people? Uh, I think I think um, recognizing that almost all of the architects that get into this profession with us were educated in a way that promotes entrepreneurship. You know that whole jury process where you have to stand up and defend yourself uh, in front of in front of those tough uh, academics really sets you up for being an entrepreneur. And so almost everybody around you, maybe not those coming out of a drafting tradition, but those coming out of architectural education, are there to support what you do, but they're also there. To, to grow themselves. And I think you, you grow them, you will grow yourself too. So that would be my suggestion. Yeah, that's great advice. Every one of us, our success has, is the result of the people around us. It's very, very hard to become successful in anything as a lone dog. It's just, just you. Um, even the ones that look like they're doing it all by themselves have some, some, somebody out there who's supporting them and helping them. So that's really great advice. I would have never gotten onto this technology today if it hadn't been for a couple of young people here in the office <laughs> showed me how to do it. Well, I'm glad that you did because I'm, I'm really happy that uh, we had the opportunity to have you share your knowledge with the Entree Architect podcast today. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Complete show notes and a direct link to download this episode will be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 142. And don't forget to visit the website and gain access to our digital course, Profit for Small Firm Architects, and learn how to build a powerful profit plan that will work for your small firm. Visit EntreeArchitect.com and click the button right there on the homepage. Hundreds of architects have taken this course. It's a great place to start when you're building a better business. And it's free. Visit EntreeArchitect.com and click the button and gain access to Profit for Small Firm Architects today. My name is Mark Arlapage and I am an entrepreneur architect. And I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, and share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. mentioned it to my family but in terms of telling people like oh yeah we're doing this i'm looking for projects you got anything yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me dreaming of launching your own architecture firm well, well buckle up for a wild ride with emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm where do we begin we don't even know what type of business to formalize as is it an llc is it an llp like how are taxes i mean the list is astronomical <laughs> Season 1 featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, 
owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is going to be a priority. When the job is done, we're going to actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. (laughs) So for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.